Hello and welcome to the Humanizing Growth podcast series brought to you by the Institute for Real Growth. Each week, IIG founders Frank von den Driest and Mark de Swan-Arons will be talking to global leaders and practitioners to discuss what it takes to drive human-centric growth. For more information, visit www.instituteforrealgrowth.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to viewers from all over the world. This is the Humanizing Growth Series brought to you by the Institute for Real Growth. The Institute for Real Growth uh, basically has its, as its purpose to help CMOs and other growth leaders humanize the business growth agenda. And we do that by connecting them to peers, to best practices, and to thought leaders. So my name is uh, Frank van den Driest. And I'm uh, super honored to have with me Javier Mesa. Javier Mesa is the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer for the Coca-Cola company's sparkling brands. Today, we're going to talk about brands. And, and somebody told me, Frank, you worked for a couple of decades focusing on brand management. And in the Institute, we're almost a year on our way and we hardly ever hear the word brands and that's true um, so at the same time i really believe because the institute is focused on business growth and humanizing growth but obviously brands have a very critical and big role to play in that um, and and today i'm going to start talking about the brand and then we're going to spend quite a bit of our time talking about managing brands especially on a global scale. And mind you, uh, Javier manages brands over 207 countries. I don't think there's a lot of brands out there that meet that number. But uh, so with that, Javier, a very warm welcome. And uh, obviously my question is, how are you and where are you? Thank you, Frank. Good morning, good afternoon in your case, good morning and good evening to everyone listening to us. I am right now in Atlanta. Uh, you know, we have the global headquarters of Coca-Cola here in Atlanta. I'm doing well, my family is safe. We are here and uh, uh, trying to be productive and remain productive as we go, yeah. So let's start with what does Coca-Cola really stand for? That's, that's a good point. And to be honest, I believe that Coca-Cola is one of the more simple brands to, to explain as a, as a marketing people. And I've, I've worked with several brands in several categories and before Coca-Cola in other companies. Coke is a simple brand. But before going there, something that we need to remind always is there is the Coca-Cola company and there is the Coca-Cola brand. Yeah. And, and of course, they are linked, but are not exactly the same. And especially because our vision for the Coca-Cola company is to expand into more categories and expand the portfolio. And, and we've been doing that. So Coca-Cola brand is still our most important brand, the flagship brand, but we have over 400 brands now across several beverage categories. And that's because the purpose of the company is to refresh the world and make a difference. And we believe that we can do that through the portfolio. And that's why we keep expanding and improving the portfolio through the sustainability practices and also to the shared value we create in economy. And, and you know, when I started talking to you in the Institute for Real Growth, I realized how much this purpose of refresh the work and make a difference is aligned with the philosophy of humanizing growth. Yeah. Now, the brand, let, let me move to the brand. The brand is, is very simple. And we believe in this, uh, what we call the ladder up, maybe that's the propeller, which is 
there's a product benefit, there's emotional benefit, it is a role we want the brand to play in the world and society. Yeah. The product benefit is, is very simple, is the authentic cola taste. We, we are the paradigm for taste and especially for cola taste. Uh, the refreshment, and the refreshment comes from the carbonation and the, the taste that is refreshing your mouth, and the energy kick you get when you drink a Coke. You know, we have caffeine, the combination of caffeine, refreshment, and the taste gives you a kick. And that kick puts you in a better mood. The emotional benefit is a mood enhancer. Coca-Cola is a mood enhancer. It's a simple moment that puts you in a better mood. And we believe that when people, human beings, are in a better mood, we are more open to be authentic, to connect to each other, and to remain positive. So at the end of the day, is that taste, refreshment, energy kick, mood enhancement, authenticity, inclusiveness, positivity. That's the brand. It's still quite a lot of words. So yeah, we'll it it. I, I, I'll challenge you to boil it down to three words. What are the three words? Uh, optimism. Yeah. Upliftment, mood enhancement, upliftment, optimism, yeah. upliftment, and taste. Great. <laughs> Great. Good. Yeah. Hey, and, and, and so we have the Coca-Cola company. We have the, the Coke brand. But we also have a category, and you're responsible for a category of brands, the sparkling brands, right? So is that, I know, I know of Coke, I know of Sprite and Vanta, obviously. How many brands sit in your portfolio? Oh, I, um, globally in the sparkling, we have something around 150 brands, but, but of, of course I don't pay attention to 150 right. brands. Right. I, I really, my, my and my team are more focused on the global and regional brands, and that would make something around 12 brands. So we have Coca-Cola, Fanta, Sprite, Schweppes, Canada Dry that we manage in certain markets. And we have regional brands like um, Royal Bliss, which is a brand that we have in Europe trying to expand. It's a, a brand of mixers. Is it true? I, I all of a sudden think of one of the conversation we had. Didn't you once mention me that there's also a, that maybe an ambition for the sparkling or the sparkling group of brands that stand for something. Is that correct? It's, it's correct. We did that exercise, but I have, to, I have to admit that it's more an internal exercise because the more I, I, I think and learn how people see, see brands and categories, it's, it's especially categories, they're blurring. So it, it, when I started in this business a couple of years back, 20 years back, uh, a soda was very clear. Today you have um, juices with bubbles. You have teas with bubbles. Yeah. You have milk with bubbles in Asia. So this, this clear cut of what is a sparkling or not is not that relevant. I believe that people organize categories in a way that is, is simple for them. Uh, they sometimes categorize healthy drinks and healthy drinks. They sometimes categorize caffeinated beverages in Asia, a lot of places yeah. does yeah. have caffeine or not. So we, we really don't, don't have a consumer face in articulation for the category we stick to the brands when it comes to consumer-facing communication. Yeah, so indeed. So, so from your point of view, yes, internally you have, an in, let's say, an organizing principle, but in the end of the day, you say, well, it's about the product brands and the consumer perception of those. Uh, well, we've talked a lot about purpose. We've talked in our leadership program with you, our participant, uh, uh, a lot about that as well. And some way or another, people always, we end up, people being confused 
between the difference between CSR and sustainability and, and brand's purpose. Now, I have a clear, let's say, definition of both in my mind, but, but let me ask you, how do you see that? And how do you explain the difference or if it's the same thing to you, uh, what's your view? Let, let me part for a second the brand and I'll, I'll come back to that. Let me start with, with the company. And, you know, yeah. I really like the, the framework from the United Nations about the 17 sustainable development goals. Yeah. When you see that sustainability, that context is economic, social, environmental. Yeah. So it, it, it encompasses the three of them. In our case, for the company, the purpose articulates that. So the, the, the analogy to that would be our purpose that says we want to have love brands, sustainable done, for a shared, uh, for a better shared future across the stakeholders. So we do differentiate between the social and the environmental, but just again, just for organizing, within the sustainability agenda that, that we have very explicitly stated, we have uh, some pillars, sugar reduction is one of them, and we can speak more about that if you want. Sugar reduction is one of our areas of focus. Uh, the second point is um, water neutrality and, and helping with water problems. Yeah. Waste packaging and carbon footprint. That would be on the sustainability. On the shared, shared value, of course, there is a pillars about our own employees, you know, the, the, the right working rights. There's uh, about empowering communities, empowering women, and social justice, of course, that is highly relevant in these in this moments. So that, that would be the, the purpose of the company. The brand has its own purpose that is connected to the, the purpose of the company, but it, it's more true to the brand experience that I ex explained before. So the purpose of the Coca-Cola brand is about uh, lifting the human spirit through authenticity, inclusiveness, and positivity. And that's the whole explanation I did about the brand. They are connected, but it's not exactly the same. Okay. Okay, so... And then you also, um, you also have, for example, Fanta in the, in the portfolio. So here I, I'm, I'm still not at the stage where I can repeat the purpose of the Coca-Cola brand, but, but I got what you were saying. So now I put myself in the, and I guess for the Fanta purpose is then a different one, right? That's correct. So each one of our, our core brands, they have its own purpose. But again, it's, it's anchor is somehow related to the product experience. Let me explain Fanta. The way we design Fanta, the way we want to build Fanta over time is as this beverage that is, is playful and is fun and is indulgent, you know, from the shape of the bottle, from the colors of the liquid, from the aromas and taste. So when, when you drink a Fanta and, and you drink a Coke, of course the product experience is different. And Fanta is more colorful and is more variety of flavors. Coca-Cola is just one color, one flavor. So in Fanta, we believe that this triggers a more playful, creative attitude in people. You know, when you drink a Fanta, you are more open to be creative, sponta spontaneous. And we believe that creativity and spontaneity has a role to play in people's life. And, and we know that, and you think current crisis, all of us are already looking for ways of keeping um, motivated, distracted, uh, relieved, because it's, it's very stressful to live the days we're living today. So the purpose of Fanta is more this, this idea of infusing creativity and spontaneity in everyday life that's it infusing creativity and spontaneity in everyday life i'm going to ask my wife who i just saw struggling with uh, six two liter bottles of fanta if she thinks of fanta about <laughs> But that's a, good, that's a good point because I think the challenge that we have as marketing people is not to design brands. You need to take that brand design and make it come to life in the marketplace, in, in, in 
experiences for people. Let me give you one example, something I, I really think walks the talk when it comes to this idea of fun as being a creative brand and, and playful brand. In Asia, we have a program that we, have, we repeat now for two years and it's very successful. It's called WTF, what the flavor. It's not what you were thinking, it's what the flavor. <laughs> what the flavor, okay. What the flavor. What we do is uh, we offer for limited time three, four different Fanta new flavors without describing the flavor to consumers and even playing. For example, we, we, we might launch a orange Fanta that is blue. So people would buy a blue drink and say, well, this is orange. So we play with this idea that you go and try and discover by yourself what, what WTF, what's the flavor. And that's just a way of giving this playful experience to people. Okay. But, but, but please tell your wife to keep buying Fanta for whatever reason she's buying. I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with that. So Fanta, Sprite, Coke, let's stick just for simplicity reasons to those three. Do, do they have different target audiences or is, uh, is your school of thinking more, um, you know, let's, let's, let's go for mass reach, whoever, we don't have loyal consumers anyway, or they're just responsible for a very small part of consumption. What, uh, how do you look at that? Yeah, so they do have different targets for communication and positioning purpose. The reality is, and we track that, the user base is really widespread. In the case of Coca-Cola, that's, that's a challenging brand because Coca-Cola is a brand that we target with a universal appeal. And that's, that's challenging because if you want to be relevant with the new generations, having a brand that appeals to the teens and the fathers is not easy. And that requires a lot of well-articulated well thinking, not only in the way we communicate, but also the way we uh, activate the market, the brand in the marketplace and the, in the channels. Uh, in the case of Sprite, we target teenagers and it's, it's more a brand that um, plays with values of self-confidence yeah. and with authenticity and honesty. And that's something that uh, for teenagers is relevant as they are going through that process of becoming adults and um, defining their self-identity. So self-confidence, that's the key value for for Sprite, as I said before, Fanta, the key value is playfulness and spontaneity. And the target, and Fanta? The target is uh, teens and young adults. But the reality is we, we like to think that Fanta is for the playful at heart. So the, this notion that if you remain playful, you don't age. That's something that we want to wanna, uh, no, communicate so with Fanta. I think let's, let's just look at what's happening. I mean, we are all obviously... Uh, uh, deeply touched by what's happening in the past few weeks, the stance against racism, the call for more inclusion, for more diversity. You know, if, you, if I then think of a brand like Fanta, how do you respond to that without being, you know, doing the obligatory uh, thoughts and prayers on social media for a couple of days and then, and then be quiet mostly? You know, that's not easy, I guess, for a brand like Fanta. Uh, or maybe it is. Yeah, we didn't. I would say you don't. You, you don't need, and this is very important. Thank you for the question because I think this is, this is super important. And please don't take this as me trying to criticize other brands. I really respect competition and I really respect other brands. So I'm gonna speak about the brands I'm responsible for. During the recent crisis and also during the, the COVID crisis, the most important question I've been asking myself is how can we truly help? people, community, society. How can we help? And I believe that, to your question, 
Fanta trying to speak about social justice is not going to help. It's not authentic. It's not what Fanta stands for. There's nothing for Fanta to say about that. Now, Coca-Cola brand and the Coca-Cola company is a different story because, as I said before, we want to make a difference and refresh the world. And we say that inclusiveness and equality and optimism is a key value of the company and of the brand. Yes, there's a role to play. But we, we didn't try to, to go fast and speak. That was not in, in in fact, we didn't speak for a couple of days. And even internally, there was a good debate about, hey, why are you in, we're not speaking? And the answer was, because we are thinking. We are thinking what to do before what to say. And what to do, the way we articulated this is, first of all, and I started by myself, Frank, is we need to learn more and understand better um, what are the, what are the, what's, what's at the heart of this issue, right? And then we need to move into, okay, now that we understand and, and, uh, and really know what's happening, let's put actions before putting words. And what we did is listen to the internal people, talk to experts outside the organization so, so they can guide the actions. We have also put resources to support organizations that are uh, fighting social injustice. And then also we put money to speak. Yes, we, we use the brand of the Coca-Cola brand uh, and we came up with some communication that I think is legitimate. But what I'm trying to say is just speaking doesn't help. You need to act. And then in, on top of that, we are partnering with other organizations to push for some legislation. In the case of Georgia, there is no this hate crime legislation. So we are advocating for that to be approved. Uh, so again, uh, Fanta, nothing to do with this. You need to think how to help and make sure you do before you say. Yeah, well, I... I and in my view, it's also really a lot about, and, and that's maybe not per se to do with brands, but, but values as a company, but also as a person that you embrace. So um, for what it's worth is, um, my, my history is, I come from this small village in Ecuador. Uh, it is 50,000 inhabitants today. When I, when I was born, it was smaller than that. And I, I can guarantee you that if back then you would ask my parents, do you imagine your son sitting one day in Atlanta doing this job with Coca-Cola? The answer is impossible. Yeah. So I am, I am um, the result of opportunities, social justice, equality. So, you know, I, I need to appreciate that. The reason I'm here is because I had the opportunity that many people today don't have. And that's something that we need to change. Hey, so, so I remember very well, uh, Javier, of the 100 uh, uh, CMOs and, and other growth leaders in our program, uh, the very first session we did, the very first group, you were one of them. And actually, you were the very first person that I spoke to in person on the day we got it for the first time when we still did offline stuff. And, uh, and I remember when we started talking, I know we barely had a drink in our hands and we were already knee deep into conversations about how you manage brands you know, across the globe with such complex portfolios, and in your case, over 200 countries. Um, and uh, well, we really hit it off on that topic. It was clearly a lot of, uh, of recognition uh, in, in, in our experience, uh, you from the trenches and me from studying and consulting in that space for multiple decades. So, so I wanna shift the conversation to that part. And, and I'm basically going to, uh, to basically go through how you connect, how you inspire, focus, organize, and build global brand management. So let me start with connecting, because I think that's where it starts. And, and connecting between global, regional, and local teams 
first of all, in my mind, really requires a basis of trust. Without trust, you can't really connect. But one of the things I noticed is that in the relationships between global and local, I often saw analogies with children and, and their parents. So very young children are entirely dependent. So they'll do everything that mommy and puppy says and, uh, and eat what they want them to eat. But then they grow older and they become independent. So basically everything mom and dad or your parents tell you, you don't want per se because they say it. And then at some stage you're mature and you become interdependent and you realize that together you're stronger. So I don't know if you recognize that analogy, but, um, but in your, what's, what's your insights? I mean, more than two decades with, with Coca-Cola company in local, regional and global roles. What is your, let's say, recipe? What's your approach to building, into, to creating and nurturing interdependency, to building you know, a foundation of trust and then creating interdependencies? That's a great topic. And, and where you were speaking, I was already classifying my mind, my markets in kids, teens, and adults. If you want, you can say, by the way, which country is at which stage. <laughs> I don't know if you really want and, to do it. As you said, the reality is I've, I've gone through all those phases, not only in life, but in my professional life, because I work in doing marketing for Coca-Cola. I work in a country, in a group of countries, in business units. I was the head of the Asia-Pacific group doing, doing marketing in Asia-Pacific. And I have, have these global positions. And, and it's true. And, and for me, the critical piece is something that you said, how do you create interdependencies? How do you make it happen? It has to be a thoughtful process. You know, something I keep repeating in, in discussion, because you can imagine this discussion at periodic in organizations like Coca-Cola. How do you make that happen? Um, I have this saying that is, you cannot do interdependencies or collaboration by goodwill. You need to have interdependencies by design. You need to design the organization for that to happen. And, and a couple of ideas. One is you need to be very thoughtful how you allocate resources. Because basically what you, what you said is this, this type of market, they have different level of resources. So yeah. one thing that is true is if you have a big group of people with money sitting in Bangladesh, yeah, they will come up with ideas. They will come up with a new brand positioning for Coca-Cola. Yeah. And they really believe they are doing the right thing because they are thinking for their market. So for me, one of the, of the thing is be thoughtful how you allocate resources, people and money. And as you know, scarcity drives creativity, right? That's, that's a fact. I also know that scarcity drives collaboration. So the moment, yeah. the moment you remove resources, you empower, you encourage people to collaborate. So that's number one. The second one, I would say, when you manage global brands, processes matter. And, and, and let me explain this is um, being, being super agile, but, but not coordinated can be very risky for a brand like Coke. Right? Let me give you one, one little example happened to me three weeks back. You know, I, I, as you can imagine, I wake up in the morning and I have already emails from Asia, Japan, China, the latest new idea. So my, my first hour in the morning is, okay, let me check that there's no disaster anywhere, that everything is, <laughs> is going well, or that if I need to, act on something. And I had this, this very good proposition from Japan saying, hey, we would like to, to explore moving our brands labelless. So wh what about removing all the labels from the brands? That's gonna, it's, 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 it's not really a big change in the amount of waste, but it's a good, a good symbolic act, right? We will reduce waste. I said, yeah, that's a good idea, but please don't do alone. 
by yourself next month. Let's, let's, let's talk about that because, of course, it has to be coordinated. It's a global brand. So you need to be agile, but you need to be coordinated. On, on the other way, being coordinated but taking three years to coordinate doesn't work. You're losing the marketplace. Yeah. So my new mantra is coordinated agility. You need to be able to drive coordinated agility. And that, in my perspective, you achieve that when you connect the network, but you keep clear decision rights. Because the problem with networks, if the decision rights are not clear, it can take forever to align a point of view. Yeah. We've, we've all seen that, I think. We've seen that. Sure. So, and the last point is, of course, culture, trust, and, and you need to reward the right behaviors. And, and, and by reward, I mean with money, with promotions, with uh, and, and publicly um, rewarding people that are working in inter, inter, interdependency, not independency. Well, interestingly, the flip side of that is you need to reward great behaviors. Uh, so that begs the question, what do you do with people who really don't want to dance? So I remember a CEO of a, of a company that I worked for a long time. At some stage, he like in a town hall with everybody, he um, basically fired the German marketing director who everybody knew didn't want to play along the global game. And he made it like a very uh open and, and 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 public thing and the message was really clear you know if you if you're not moving with us to shift to a more aligned way of working there's no place for you in the in the company what do you think of that is do you also believe in in punishment as as a way or or at least measures when people really uh, display the the behaviors, behaviors you don't want Frank, I, I like a lot of football, soccer, football, and, and I lived in Brazil for a while, so let me answer with a football analogy. There's this big team in Brazil called Flamengo, which yeah, is, you know, I know them. see them play. Yeah. And, and the fans of Flamengo, they are very demanding, of course. So if you are the coach of Flamengo, you can lose one match, and that's going to be okay. You know, everybody can lose one match. If you lose the second match in a row, the fans are going to start saying, hmm. But if you lose, Three matches in a row, probably you're out. Yeah. So my, my answer is everyone deserves a second opportunity. Everyone deserves a third opportunity, yeah. but everything has a limit. So yeah, I would say after a while you need to act. And, and as leaders, either you are part of the problem or you are part of the solution. There's no in the middle. No, no, got it, totally like the answer. Um, inspire, the second of the five uh, steps in, in, in the wheel, if you will. Um, so aligning, you said 207 countries, right? Uh, that, that you sell Coca-Cola brand and maybe for Fanta it's a bit less, but we'll be in the hundred. 196. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> so, so I remember at some stage, this was early internet days and I traveled to Thailand and, uh, and trying to convince, uh, this Thai brand manager to play along on this, on this whole shift towards what we then called interactive marketing. And he said, well, but Frank, in Thailand, the internet is really different. <laughs> and, and I mean, the interesting thing is obviously he was right and he also wasn't right. So, so when you think about that and you think about aligning and inspiring people from more than 190 countries behind one vision, how do you deal there? How do you deal with these convictions that things are different in right. different places? They simply are, and at the same time, they're not. 
And, and that's interesting. Maybe let me let me split maybe that into into vision and strategy because they are of course they are related, but it's not exactly the same, right? And and here's what I I'm thinking is you know one one of the things I've been reflecting and this is recently. I mean this this crisis has given me the the, the commuting time I'm saving I'm using to think more and, and read more. But one of the things I realize is we marketing people and especially marketing people in a central role for a global organization somehow we live in the future right so somehow yeah of course my job is i need to to make the reality to emerge with brutally honesty we, we need to see the facts and my job is not that my job is not to see the facts my job is to think three eight, three years of now five years of now how i want to see the brands if, if it is the ceo of the company how he wants to see the company if you are the president of a country how do you see the country so in my case is as a global marketing people, I live into the future. And then my job is to try to paint that future to the organization. So this idea of imagine if, imagine if, and that if the quality of the thinking is good, it's not that difficult to engage people behind the vision, right? The discussion is always how to get there. You know, the bridging the present and the future, the strategy piece, that's when people are gonna say, yeah, internet might be different. Of course it's gonna happen. For that, what I would tell you is, so one thing is the quality of the vision is going to impact the quality of the inspiration. And we as marketing people, we need to live in the future somehow on the strategies. I think it's important for us to understand what does it mean to do end-to-end -end brand management? You know, because sometimes I think we oversimplify the notion of brand management. Uh, if you ask me, uh, Javier, who, who manages the brand Coca-Cola in the Coca-Cola company? And I would say, okay, okay, let's, let's open brand management into the different yeah. uh, connecting parts. Because honestly, and let me, let me try to build this, is if I see brand managers as brand design activities, which is understanding consumer insights, deep, deep human values, doing the positioning, the, the, the brand architecture, that's one part of the job. Then you have brand development or development activities, which is creating platforms, you know, creating campaigns, creating innovation pipeline. Yeah. designing communication, designing promotions. We have now a B-app partnership doing some music program globally. Developing that is a lot of work. And then you have the brand activation in the marketplace, which is, okay, what channels, what price packaging, what promotional activity. All those three things you really need to map and have, I would say two things. One is make sure that you put the best people to do those pieces of work and the best people could be in different parts of the world. So use networks. You know, when I need to think brand positioning, we don't do that just by the four or five people sitting in Atlanta. We reach to people in the field and bring them and say, let me think, help me think the brand. Um, but then, then you have networks, but with clear decision rights. I've seen that more, you know, most often the problems are either because you don't have the best people or because the decision rights are not clear. Yeah, we're going to talk a bit more about the organized part of global management in a little bit. I wanna to move to, to the focus part. So aligning priorities and ultimately, so that in whatever, if you're in sparkling or natural juices or whatever category you're in, in whatever country or market, that ultimately your priorities end up like in a Christmas tree, end up to the overall global company priorities. And yeah. um, that's, that's also, I mean, it's a little bit forced, but I have one of my institute collega, colleagues, uh, Eva Lindeborg. She would have uh, slapped me if, uh, if I wouldn't have brought this question 
and I wasn't going to, but I saw quite a few people in the Q&A. They all came with this same topic. And the topic is uh, sugar. Uh, and we've talked about it in the past, Javier. But I want to link it to this, to this focus, to creating an aligned set of priorities and, and actions leading to those priorities. So I can understand that on a global scale, and I know you're doing quite a lot to, let's say, fight obesity and, and, and you know, too much sugar intake. Uh, but in some countries, uh, maybe Mexico, maybe other countries, uh, sugar intake is, is, is really, really problematic. And, um, and, and I can see why uh, local brand managers think quite, li quite different about uh, pushing, I know, zero, uh, uh, zero calories uh, products than, than people in Atlanta would like to see. So how do you deal with that? How do you align and how do you respect in that sense what the differences in the market, but you get like a really important topic of like sugar, critical to the future of Coca-Cola and how you deal with that? Yeah, let me, let me start with that. So let, let me try to answer two, uh, the two questions in one. Uh, alignment. Uh, here is the, and let me again use an analogy. My, my first profession is a chemical engineer. That's what I studied in undergraduate and then I did an MBA. There is, there is uh, in chemical engineering, there is something called the thermodynamics and there is the second law of thermodynamics. And the second law of thermodynamics says that if, if let alone, the universe tends to entropy, or in other words, if let alone, the universe tends to chaos. And yeah. if you want to stop chaos, you need to put a lot of energy to, to remove chaos. I believe organizations somehow are the same. You know, if let alone, organizations tend to chaos. So yeah. alignment is a never ending exercise and it requires energy. You need to put energy to do alignment. So don't think that, oh yeah, we will, you know, we will meet in January, align the rest of the year and let's, in, let's meet again in, in December and let's celebrate. It doesn't happen like that. Alignment and calibration is a constant exercise. Yeah, first thing. The, the second thing I would say is when you need to align, you need to be um, thoughtful of the different levels of alignment. To your point about sugar, you know, the decision of reducing the sugar footprint is something that has to be aligned clear and loudly as a, as a belief, right? And, and, and it's a belief. It's, we do believe that we need to reduce the sugar footprint of our products. And, and honestly, the, you know, yeah, you can discuss a little bit that, but after you have that belief, it has to be aligned and you cannot move to the next stage, which is, okay, what, what actions do we implement without having the aligned belief? Because otherwise you're gonna be discussing again and again and again. Yeah. So make sure that you align beliefs before you align programs. And when aligning programs, the most important thing is to, to align the objective of the program rather than the program itself. So what are we trying to achieve? Because I, I see a lot of times that we lose in the discussions about the how, but I, I really want to align the what. In, in, you know, in the case of sugar is, yes, we want to have less calories per liter of product we sell. And how to do that? We have multiple options depending on the situation of the market. One option is reduce the sugar in the recipe of the product. So using Mexico as an example. In Mexico, we reduce 30% of the sugar of Coca-Cola Classic. So in the case of Mexico, we reduce that. Now you could ask me, hey, why don't you do the same in UK? 
Well, in UK, 60% of the sales of Coca-Cola are already in zero sugar. In Mexico, 3% of the sales are in zero sugar. Three versus 60. Now, both strategies are okay. We want to reduce sugar in the product and we want to promote zero sugar products more and more and more. And the third one is we want to promote smaller packages. So, you know, smaller yeah. packages, zero sugar. And the last piece of information, the last piece of the strategy is information. And maybe you can see here is we have in every package the amount of calories very visible for consumers. So four pillars, but we give um, markets flexibility which one to use more depending on the local condition as long as we are clear on the objectives. So alignment on beliefs, alignment objectives, and of course you need to align the metrics. So what are the metrics that we use to track? Yeah, I hope I answered. Yeah, that's a good answer. It's a very good answer. I just want to make it a little bit more difficult for you. Please. Because, because I think in topics like this, there's in, in, in big companies, even in small companies, there will always be people that say we can do more. And others say, well, ta, 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 we got a business to run. And, you know, we're doing quite a bit. We're already adjusting the size. We're actually, for even people without glasses, can read the number of galleries. And so pretty proud of what we do. So in the camps, undoubtedly also in Coca-Cola, of the people that feel you, we need to push harder and we should do much more education like, I don't know, the drinks industry with drink responsibly. Uh, Heineken's drink responsibly is, is, is very dominant in, for example, their soccer sponsorships. Where are you? Are, are you in the camp that says we sh you know, that, that you're trying to convince your colleagues to push harder? Or are you more in the camp of, well, I think we're really proud of what we're achieving. And as long as we're ahead of our competitors, I'm okay. No, no, no. I, I, again, obesity is a real problem. You know, and, unless, we, unless we solve it, I'm not going to be okay. So yes, can we do more? Yes. What I believe is we need to be uh, willing and open to experiment new solutions, but be, be, be honest if the solution works or not. So if you ask me, what are we doing? We are putting more marketing dollars behind zero sugar products, and it's working. The zero sugar products in my portfolio, they have been growing double digit for the last three years. Uh, last year and the year before, more than 50% of the growth of the brands is coming from zero sugar. So people are moving towards zero sugar. They are drinking their sugar, in fact. Okay, but is that answering your question, whether you feel that we should actually from tomorrow on double down and do even twice as much? Or yeah, are we yes, in the yes. good... Yeah, and, and that's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, I cannot tell you the plans. I'll, I'll but write you again a year from now. Double down. We can meet a year from now, and I'm, I'm happy to share numbers. <laughs> Very good. Hey, I want to talk about, because that's, that's, and I see some of the questions. Carol Ergen also is asking a question about, I think, the most discussed and complex topic in global management, and you refer to it a couple of times, organize, roles and responsibilities. Abilities, who gets to decide what and, and you spoke a little bit about it one of the uh, insights that, that that I got from from studying many brands in this space is the very fundamental motivation that people that the clarity on the responsibilities is more important than the breadth of the responsibility I remember that guy he was an ex-proctor guy and he came into a Dutch utilities company as the marketer CMO and um, and he was deeply frustrated, OK? 
Because he said, you know what? I got all the more budget than I ever had. I can do whatever I want. But the CEO can walk into a post-production meeting and say, I don't like that. that I don't like that ad. You need to pull it. He said, whereas in Procter, I got a book this thick with all the things that I couldn't do. But the things that I could do, I actually really, you know, I called the shots. And it was very clear. And ultimately, that was more motivating than that unclarity. So Carol asked, for example, you know, who, who, dis, who decides on, on, on the decision rights? You know, who, who creates those? So what do you do and how do you do it to create that clarity in Coke? Multidimensional matrix. Yeah, and, and I would say, just using the, the example you provided, that we are somehow in the middle. We, we are not as structured as Procter, but we are not also as chaotic. And part of that is because we don't allow that to happen. Remember, if let alone the universe would take you to chaos. Yeah, no, I like that. I didn't want to that. <laughs> we, we put energy to keep some order. And, we, and, and the reason I'm saying that is because this is a, a frequent discussion. And one of the things that is happening during this crisis is um, we had clear priorities, which is yeah, protect employees, protect the safety of the supply chain, help the community. And the fourth one is be prepared to merge stronger. And as part of the be prepared to merge stronger, you can imagine that there's a lot of conversation about how do we merge stronger as an organization. By the way, I believe that that also applies to individuals. So if, you, if we have time, I'll tell you how I, I am preparing to merge stronger as, as Javier, but to the business. Yes, there's a lot of discussion about how to be stronger in decision making. So the, who decides the decision making ultimately is the, the senior leadership team, you know, CEO, COO, chief marketing officer. Yeah, they're going to decide the decision rights. Um, I do believe that decision rights are super important. I said that before, but you mentioned something which is trust. And, and I also believe that you cannot only play on the design, the hardware, you need also to design the software. And by that, I mean is, don't try to manage a company as complex as the Coca-Cola company that has customers, suppliers, bottlers, just by a manual. It's, it's not going to work. Yeah, because in my case, you said, oh, the CEO can come up into the room and, and challenge your ad. In my case, bottlers do that all the time. <laughs> Our bottlers, they come up and say, oh, I don't like to your campaign. And, and it's not as easy as to say to a bottler, hey, here's the manual. Look who has the D. Thank you. Thank you for your input. Sit down. It doesn't work like that. You need to be more empathic than that. So we have decision rights that are clear, but we need to build credibility, trust, uh, because that's how life is. So, so Kim Whitler is asking a question, and she takes it a step further even, not so much between global and local and the CEO or the C-suite and, and more junior people, but she says, well, how do you ensure that employees aren't hijacking the brands and using them to communicate their own personal beliefs versus understanding the breadth of your consumers? So those who live in the, let's say, rural or middle Americas, as well as urban big cities, for example. So Gillette with their toxic masculinity is a good example. The employees loved it, but many of their target hated it. How do you manage that? Good question. Right? And let me give you one real example that happened to me. I, you know, yeah. I, I was managing, leading the, the Brazil team um, back in 2014, uh, the World Cup, right? The, what, and that's, uh, the World what? Cup, the football, the, the, the FIFA World Cup in yeah. Brazil 2014. 
And in, if you remember, um, you know, this Brazil and Argentina, they have this big rivalry, right? So after, after Brazil being eliminated by the famous 7-1 from Germany, the next, big, the next big fear, I would say this fear of Brazilian was, what if Argentina wins the World Cup in Maracana, Rio de Janeiro? That was like a nightmare that this cannot happen. Yeah. And everyone was, four days after being defeated by German in Brazil, every Brazilian was a German at heart. Like, yeah, go Germany, go. Yeah. So, and end of the match, 1-0 for Germany. And I have people in my team, the ones doing social, social media, celebrating and saying, yeah, Argentinians, go back home. And I saw that and I said, oh my God, these guys don't remember that we're a global brand, that we stand for universal values, that we sell a lot of, we make a lot of money in Argentina, by the way. <laughs> but it happens, you know, and, and how, do you, how do you ensure it doesn't happen? Uh, training, 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 training. You need, to, you need to keep training people. And I guess values, alignment on values again. Ultimately, yeah. it's, it's, I think if you have a really strong culture, where you understand that, for example, you don't judge, etc. that this purpose and values give guidance in, un, let's say, unexpected uh, things C19. The, the company yeah. with the clearest purpose and the clearest set of values knew best what to do and what not to do. And I think that that applies to some of this as well. Yeah, when it comes to the crisis we are right now, social injustice, I, I would say, Frank, the, the thing that, is helping me is again think how can we help as an organization as a brand as Javier how yeah. can we help and the second thing I'm, I'm been thinking is um, 10 years from now I want to be able to look back and say I was on the right side of the history of course but who doesn't want that I mean that's a bit but, but that's important that's super important because that's going to guide what you do today Okay, I hear you. I, I think there are very few people who think I don't care if I look back what I see. But, but so I think the whole problem is I think with intention, we basically, we judge other people on their behavior and ourselves on our intent. Right. That's, that, that's, that, 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 that's uh, I think, understanding that, that people are all well-intended. They think who, who wakes up and thinks, I'm going to be an a-hole this day. Nobody. Yeah, no, what, what I was trying to say is um, when facing decisions, okay, should I speak or not? I, yeah. I try to think, okay, 10 years from now, what if the two decisions yeah. are going to put me on the right side? Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, good, fair. The last in the wheel of global brand management is built. Is, is, is building capabilities, is ensuring that successes obviously get rolled out very quickly, but at the same time that major uh, failures don't get repeated in other places and with other brands. Um, sounds very easy. A lot of been, books have been written on it. Much academies have been put in place. What is the, let's say, unique Coca-Cola way of, of building capabilities and what do you see as your own role in that? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it is unique or not. We do a lot of benchmarking and we connect a lot with yeah. external people to help us, academia. I, I see a big role for any global um, group of people and I'm part of the global group of people 
to um, foster capability and learning, those two things. And they, of course they are related, but in the case of capability, we do have a central capability team that connects a network of capability managers. So marketing capability is a, is a formal group inside the organization and, yeah. and they do capability, organization capability. And we have an agenda. And as I said before, we connect with external people to help us uh, nurture and implement the agenda. On the learning part, um, again, it requires a lot of energy, but it's important. So let me give you two examples of things that we do. Um, on, on the digital transformation agenda, we created a digital platform to, to be able to identify what's happening in the marketplace, codify and scale. That's what's called the global experimentation platform. So basically, now we have a place where every market that is doing something to advance the digital agenda, it could be e-commerce, it could be B2B2C, yeah. B2C, they, yeah. they put there what they're doing, what they learn, and then allows us to go and access information and scale. And a more analog way of doing that is we have a routine every two weeks, we gather for a morning and provide the markets um, a forum to share in advance what they're working on in terms of campaigns or programs. So it happens every Tuesday, every two weeks, Tuesday morning. And for example, Japan would come and say, hey, we are working on this campaign. And they would present the campaign for the objective of we providing feedback but this is important. We don't remove the decision rights from the Japan team unless there is a big problem. If there is a big problem, I'll, I'll use the veto power. But usually we don't use that. We encourage the markets to make decisions and that's a forum for feedback from the center, but also other markets can see what Japan is doing. And that's a way of, of promoting, promoting um, uh, learning. I've been advocating to create a, a, a failure award uh, in Coca-Cola, but we haven't done that yet. I, I would like well, to create something that's called the... the that's exactly where, where I wanted to go. That's exactly where I wanted to go, because... Um, and and, and, and that's, that's, I think, what you should do and you do. Is you, you talk about what you learned and, and how you applied it to make things better, like, for example, now in building those capabilities. But I know from the, from, from the viewers that they are more interested in the things that you fail at than the things that go well. And I think marketers, by, in general, always like to talk about their successes. And, and I'm all with you about failure. In the, in the leadership program, we have, uh, we have just done with almost 100 CMOs a simple exercise where people share a failure with each other in groups of two. And, yeah. and the interesting feedback of all hundred was not only it was great to share the fail failure and liberating, but actually receiving, hearing from somebody else who shares a failure, increase the respect for the other. So I want to give you the opportunity to, for the viewers to increase their respect for you. <laughs> no, right. but, but seriously, so, so maybe you can tell a little bit about things you did wrong or, or that are not going well, that you're struggling with. Uh, in, for example, the area of capability building, because it's not easy, we all know. And, and Frank, let me, I'll answer the question, but let me tell, compliment something on your comment, which is, it's not only important to identify the failure and what did we learn, it's even more important to go back and say why we made the decisions we made. Because what happens in this failure, and I've been in a lot of those sessions that you encourage markets, okay, give me your failure, and then they come and present to you the case, and they explain exactly why what you did is so wrong. And it makes a lot of sense, right? And you say, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, that, that was stupid, of course. 
But then the question is, why did you make that decision back then? What made you make that decision? Because if you don't identify that, you will not really progress. You're going to keep repeating failures and explaining the failures instead of really solving the root cause of how the decision was made. Now, can you give an example? Yeah, I, I'm going to give you an example. Coke Energy. We launched Coke Energy in Europe, the first market. And we made the decision to go with one taste profile. It was a taste profile that is a combination of Coca-Cola and energy drinks in the middle. Uh, and after we launched and we went to the market, we realized this is not the taste profile that's going to be a winner. So we quickly adjusted and launched in US a second version of Coke Energy with a different taste profile. And guess what? 70 plus repeat rates. People love it and it's working. So of course, when I had to go back to CEO, CMO, and say, yeah, let me explain what's happening. You know, this taste is much better than this. And people say, yeah, of course. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hold on. And why, why, did we do, why did we launch this flavor then? Because it cannot be that we were super stupid and now we are super smart, right? So I did, I did this presentation for them saying, let me remind you how, how and why we made this decision. Yeah. And that was eye-opening. And I'm gonna tell that because that, that's, that's confidential. Yeah. Well, and I, obviously I respect that. And, and one other thing is actually completely forgot that question, but, uh, but that is intriguing. So we, you know, we talked a lot about, uh, and we just uh, wrote an article on the Da Vinci growth CMO. You're a CMO and you carry the CMO t title yourself. Now, Coke has made some, some interesting moves when it comes to the CMO title. And the CMO person uh, announcement, because at some stage you you basically put a chief growth officer in place. Uh, that's been undone. So can you tell me a little bit what what's the learning there? Yeah, we, we have three CMOs now. We went from zero to three because I have a peer on, of mine that is the CMO for the steel portfolio for all the non-Spartan brands, and, and our boss has the the CMO. But you don't have a chief growth officer anymore. We don't have a growth and, and, and Frank, this is, this is a good point. Let me, let me put this way. And I've been doing marketing for so many years. So the way I think about marketing is, is always in these terms of why, what, and how. I, I keep reminding myself why you need marketing. Why you need marketing. And my, and my answer is you need marketing because marketing is the function in the organization that does the interface between people and the resources of the organization. Our job is to understand people's needs, unmet needs, unexpressed needs, try to design solutions, and then orchestrate how those solutions go to them. So we create value and we capture value. So I, I call marketing the value interchange orchestrator. We need to create this <laughs> interchange of value. It's marketing language. Marketing language. Um, what marketing? Drive growth. That's my job. And it has to be sustainable and it has to be profitable. That's my job, growth. How do you drive growth in, our, in a CPG? More users, more frequency, more money per transaction, right? I need more people drinking my products more frequently and willing to pay more money for what they buy. That's how you drive growth. The how marketing keeps changing because the, the, the environment is dynamic, competitors are dynamic, channels, uh, online retail experience, all of that is changing and changing. And that's where you need experimentation. Let the market experiment on that and be smart in learning and scaling. So my, my, the short answer for me is marketing equals growth. Great.
Oh man, I, I, I wish we had, we had booked two hours for this one. Unfortunately, we only have one minute left. What is keeping you up at night and what's getting you up in the morning? Uh, I, I, have, I have found my, my personal purpose and, and that's helping young people achieve dreams and ambitions. Oh, nice. So in the morning when I wake up, I start by thinking how I'm going to help my kids do that. But I've been spending a lot of time connecting with universities and organizations. I did that yesterday, a hundred high school students from uh, Georgia, and I spent an hour talking to them about how to think about career and life. So that, that keeps me up uh, in the morning with, with energy and passion. And of course, I do that also in my own organization. What keeps me uh, awake at night, um, I would say, as, as a father of kids, same as other father of kids. <laughs> uh, and in the actual context, I'm concerned about the impact this is going to have in the economy, of, in the microeconomy, in the economy of families. You know, we are privileged. We know that. There's a lot of people suffering out there. That keeps me awake at night these days. Great. Well, Javier, I, I want to thank you. Uh, uh, this is called the Humanizing Growth Series. I felt this was, you speak very much from the heart, a very human conversation. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I want to thank you very much. I want to thank all the viewers. Um, with that, I wish everybody a fantastic weekend. Thanks again, Javier, and, and see you all soon. Bye-bye.